Hey, Dan, I love my job. It's my career I hate. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, I hope you're ready for a tune-up. Hey, what better time than now? Now, you're going to hear me talking about this a ton for the next couple of months, and that is being clear on what you want to happen next year. Setting goals. 2020, are you kidding me? What could be a more perfect setup for clarifying your vision? Perfect vision, 2020. Wow, now's the time. Let's take advantage of this time, the last quarter of the year here. Of course, my deadline is going to be November 14th, as it always is, to have things clearly laid out, what I want to have happen the next year. Yeah, that happens to be 48 days before the new year starts, so I can roll into the holidays, not being stressed about that, knowing what's going to happen, and you know what else happens when you get clear on what you want to happen. It's funny how things just start moving in that direction. Doors start opening up. Things start moving if you don't think you're even focusing on it yet at that point. That's what happens when you get clarity about what you want your future to be. Now, we got some great questions this week, as always. Somebody says, my total commitment to the corporate world, to the office environment, to high heels and to Microsoft Excel has run its course. Well, that's a pretty clear setup for making a change. Dan, I'm wondering, what is your secret to staying optimistic and continuing to have a positive outlook. Somebody says, incidentally, yeah, my positive outlook gets challenged once in a while, but I'm pretty intentional about staying on top of things with my attitude, which I can control. Somebody says, I lost money on an investment. How can I keep from being angry? And in this one, I can't wait to get to this one. We're going to unpack this one for somebody who says, I've written a book, but I've been advised to focus on graduate school right now instead of publishing. Well, you need new advisors, man. You need people who are going to encourage you to do innovative things, not just keep coloring in between the lines. I'm going to tell you about some people who published while they were in college and went on to some pretty cool things. Well, our quotation today comes from my buddy, Steve Sims. Now, Steve is the author of the book, Blue Fishing. I had him on a couple years ago, probably when the book came out, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. And Steve is the one, really cool guy. He, he will set up just these amazing experiences for people. Like he set up in dinner for six, right at the base of the Michelangelo statue. And then as people were sitting there unexpectedly, he brings in Andrea Bocelli singing <laughs> are you kidding me? But he does experiences like that. You know, when somebody says, gee, I'd really love to meet the band backstage, you know, Journey. I played cover for them, you know, their songs when I was going through college. I'd love to just get backstage. And Steve sets it up. So the dude goes on stage, sings lead with Journey, two songs. I mean, that's the kind of, anyway, Steve, wild and crazy guy. Here's what I heard him say just yesterday. Too many people go through life as a passenger with the windows rolled up. Golly, what a great visual image. Riding through life as a passenger, not in the driver's seat, as a passenger with the windows rolled up. Well, Steve is one of the, he's going to roll down the windows, make something happen. 
Hey, I want to encourage you to do the same. Don't be a passenger going through life with the windows rolled up. Well, our resource, I already alluded to it. It is the brand new goal setting planner. We've made some revisions, updated it. So it's all set for 2020. So if you go to 48days.com slash goals, you're going to be taken right to that. Start working. It's free. As always, we've done this for years and years. People use it to get a clear sense what you want the next year to look like. And believe me, the best way to predict your future is to create it. So you can decide what you want next year to look like. You don't have to just wait and see what happens. That's a terrible method, (laughs) terrible proposition to just show up and see what happens. No, people are going to push you around with their plans. If you don't have a plan, somebody else will pull you in to help them accomplish theirs. Well, good news, a couple items of interest here. Largest purchase of electric vehicles in history. Amazon just ordered 100,000 electric delivery vans. Think about that. 100,000. They just placed an order for 100,000 electric delivery vans. Obviously, the largest order for electric vehicles in history. Uh, The first of the vans are set to hit the roads in 2021. It takes a while to introduce these, get them built and all that. And then the full fleet will hit the roads before 2030. So there's a time frame there. But to give you some perspective on that, FedEx has 85,000 motorized vehicles out there. UPS has 123,000, somewhat larger. But that gives you some kind of frame of reference for where Amazon is going to be in that scheme of delivering things. 100,000 electric vans. Of course, it's a $440 million investment, going to save 4 million metric tons of carbon per year by 2030. They're moving toward the time to be zero carbon emissions by the year 2040. Now, that's a long-term goal, but it gives you an idea of how companies that are making a difference set goals long-term. You ought to be able to be determining now, what do you want your life to look like three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now? And I like that. 10-year time frame. I'm, I'm planning the next 25 years, what I want things, what I want to have happen in 25 years. Now, will there be modifications? As I go, sure, but I have a clear sense of exactly what I want to have happen so I know what direction I'm going in, and then I can respond to adaptations as they show up and as new things seem to be more interesting, but I'm pretty clear once I get set for the year ahead, I, I don't make a whole lot of variations. Now, here's one. We've been hearing a lot in the news recently about suicides. For some reason, the painful topic has just come up a lot. There have been people in notable positions who have uh, taken their own lives, and so it's been in the news a lot, and a lot of emphasis being pushed in that direction. I I ran into this piece from a good news source. Man used insect photography to combat suicidal thoughts, and his stunning photos are now in National Geographic. This is a 34-year-old nature photographer who had been suffering from depression, suicidal thoughts, when he discovered his passion for taking pictures of insects. Matt Doge says he tried to take his own life nine years ago after hitting rock bottom. Well, he went to doctors, got antidepressants. He knew he needed something more. That's when he started photography. So he takes these really close-up pictures 
of insects that display that magnificent structure and colors. And those pictures caught the eye of publishers at National Geographic, where his work is now being shared. He also is going to be uh, speaking to students at Edinburgh University about the impact nature photography can have on mental health on November 20th. So just coming up here in a few weeks. Well, that's an important point. And it relates to the first question I want to share with you that comes from Paige. Paige says, my question has to do with anxiety. I love the optimism you have. I wonder, however, is it possible for optimism to coexist with anxiety? Can or should you battle anxiety with optimism? How can this be achieved? Also, I'm wondering, what is your secret to staying optimistic and continuing to have a positive outlook? Well, Paige, thanks for your question. And you know, I think there are so many things that we can do to take the initiative in this. So anxiety, yeah, I mean, we all have experienced that, you know, difficulty concentrating, muscle tension, you know, sleep difficulties, golly, persistent worry and fear about everyday situations. It may speed up your heart rate, rapid breathing, sweating, I mean, all those kind of things, yeah, those are things that we can certainly experience. Now, traditionally, historically, our response to dangerous situations gave us the options, fight or flight. I mean, we hear that a lot, fight or flight. Well, we aren't, we aren't encountering situations that produce the kind of anxiety that people did hundreds of thousands of years ago. You know, a, a bear walking into your cave, I mean, that produces anxiety. We aren't dealing with that. You know, we're dealing with much more subtle things that do cause us anxiety. Not to diminish the fact that, yes, there are things that can cause us anxiety, but I think there's a whole lot of things that we can do to override that pretty effectively. I want to encourage you, Paige, stay connected, stay active. Now, when when if it's stress that you're dealing with, I mean, there are a lot of things that you can do to reduce stress. I mean, if you have upcoming pressures and deadlines. I mean, just make a list of things to make those tasks more manageable so you can kind of check them off. Here's, here's one of the things that I do to really control my mood during the week. I organize, I group activities. So on Mondays, I have all my business meetings. Tuesdays, I have all my coaching calls, interaction with groups, and so on. On Wednesday, I record my podcast and do interviews in the afternoon. Then I have Thursdays and Fridays totally devoted to what I call deep work. Of course, deep work comes from the title of the book by Cal Newport, but it had a profound impact on me and it helped me group my week in that way so that those days and Thursday, Friday, that's when I work on big projects. That's when I work on the 20th anniversary of 48 Days to the Work You'll Have, my new book, Sabbath Musings, new courses we've got coming out on masterminds and on leveraging your intellectual property to make money and the power of investing in yourself. Those are projects that I work on every Thursday and Friday. So I would, as much as possible, organize your time. So you aren't just having knee jerk reactions to things just showing up randomly. I don't know how much control you have over your work week, but surely you've got some control to do that. So you organize things, bring them together, practice relaxation techniques, just deep breathing. I recently visited with my voice coach that I've been working with for years and years. And he reminded me again, you know, breathing from your rib cage, you know, breathe deep breathing and how shallow our breathing tends to be. And of course, shallow breathing is going to add to that sense of anxiety and feeling out of breath. So practice doing that. Those are things that you can do. 
you can replace negative thoughts with positive ones. You know, when people are, are anxious, I find that they're typically looking at what has already happened. They're looking at the past rather than the future. So get clear again on what you're moving toward and then have, God, I have every morning, start with gratitude. I mean, I do that. I get out, I slip out of bed, I go do some stretches. I walk down to the end of the hall, look out the back of our house, and I just start expressing gratitude as I walk back up the hall into other parts of our house before I sit down for meditation devotions. Express gratitude. That'll help reduce anxiety. Make sure you've got a support network. I mean, talk with familiar people around you, people who are supportive. You know, it can be a family member or friends, but Make sure you're sharing, sharing ideas and have people around you who are not pulling you down, but who are encouraging you and calling you to a higher level yourself. And of course, make sure that you are doing physical exercise. There are a few things that help diminish stress and anxiety, like working out. I mean, you can't, golly, you can't jog for five miles and feel really stressed. It's just going to dissipate. It's going to escape from your body. You can't do it. So I, I hit the treadmill every morning before I confront any details of the day. And while on there, I listen to clean, pure, inspiring content from the very best podcasters in the world. I mean, that's what I do. And that's a way to, and those things, I think you can really take some focused action to help reduce or eliminate the anxiety that you're experiencing. Do I have challenges to my own, you know, positive thing? Yeah, absolutely. And I've got situations where I feel like I have no control that frustrate me, but I don't dwell on that. I don't allow my mind to just go there and park for eight hours. You know, I'll have that fleeting thought and 10 minutes, I'll do what I can to address it. Then I move on. I'm just not going to park there and let that consume my mind. Now, here's another thinking kind of challenge. Listen to this uh, audio clip from a listener. Hi, Dan. I recently, I recently, well, not recently, lost a lot of money in an in a venture and in someone I didn't know too well in terms of their business acumen, and it keeps haunting me. I wake up every day thinking about it and how much I'd lost, but I don't know how to move forward. Um, please help me and suggest ways and how I can do this. Thank you. Bye. All right. Well, thanks for your vulnerability and sharing that. I certainly feel for you. This is another one of those where you have to look to the future rather than the past. You have to stop obsessing about what happened and what it is that you perhaps apparently have no control over. I mean, one of the things that I do when I coach somebody is immediately look at, you know, when they're frustrated and discouraged, depressed, whatever, angry, we look at what is it you control and what is it you do not control? Let's focus on what it is you do control and stop obsessing about things where you have no control. I mean, if the, the boss, uh, you got a company where there's a thousand employees and the boss just brought his son in to replace you, eh, you probably need to just move on with your head held high. You probably aren't going to have any control or way to combat that or declare injustice or discrimination. no. Don't waste that negative energy. Just move on. And this is going to be one of those as well. Now, when you say you invested in a venture, I mean, when we look at those words, to invest is to, you know, allocate money with the expectation of some benefit in the future. Now, we hope that that's good. We hope that that has a big return, but it wouldn't be called an investment 
unless it also had the possibility of loss. So if you were willing to make the investment, you have to recognize you were willing to understand you could possibly lose that. So when, when there's low risk, there's also very low return. I mean, if you put your money into a bank CD right now, I mean, the rates are about 2.35 on, on a CD. That, that's not a whole lot. So if you put in $10,000 after a year, you're going to have $10,000 and 235 additional dollars. That's it. But you can't even get it out unless you leave it in there for three years. That's a, a low return, low risk. Yeah, the bank's probably going to still have it there. But when you start talking about other kinds of investments, yeah, there's the risk there. Now, to me, if I look at a business idea, part of the thrill of the business idea is that I don't know if it's going to work. I mean, that's part of the thrill. If it's guaranteed, there's no thrill on that. That's boring. But if you know that you may have like a 50-50 chance of having this succeed, that's when the juice starts flowing. That's when you can get excited. Investments are like that. So let's say that it was $1,000. You didn't indicate that. And I don't know. I mean, it really doesn't matter if it was $1,000 or $100,000. If it's gone, don't chase the snake. Last week, I used that as a theme on here. Or maybe it was two weeks ago. Don't chase the snake. I mean, the poison moved through your body, not that snake who took your money. The anger will only hurt you. The best thing you can do to reward yourself is to move forward. And what I would do is immediately come up with a creative way you can make that $10,000 or whatever it was, that you can make that and more. I mean, they say success is the sweetest revenge. Trying to go after the person will simply put you on the same level as they are. So frame your experience not as losing, but as learning. You, You didn't lose, you learned. I mean, that experience could save you a million dollars in the future because you know better what to look for and how to vet an idea in advance. I mean, that experience has surely made you smarter. Now, what I don't want you to do is say, okay, I'm never going to invest in a venture again. Don't do that. My gosh, I've got things that we, you know, were dismal failures. I mean, I tell the story about when back when I was 18, I got a grant for my college tuition, a um, couple, couple thousand bucks, but it was a grant, you know, it doesn't have to be paid back. And I was a poor farm kid. It had good grades. So I, I got a grant all ready to go to the Ohio State University. Well, I invested that money in a venture. <laughs> now, I'm not going to just let it sit there in the bank. I'm an entrepreneur way before I was 18 years old. So I invested. I bought 10 hot cashew machines, had them placed in sleazy bars and was informed within 24 hours I needed to get those things out of there because cashews under heat, if they're not turned about every four hours or so, they'll start to mold. And that was what, what happened. I sold those machines for pennies in the dollar. I mean, I literally, I think I got like $300 for all of those that I had spent a couple thousand dollars on. And when tuition came due, I had to get out and scramble to come up with the money. Now, does that mean I will never again you know, invest in a business venture? Well, obviously that's not true. I learned in that experience. One of the most profitable parts of our business today at 48 Days is the profiles that we sell. When you think about it, it's simply an electronic vending business. 
Now, I don't have machines where somebody has to back up a truck and unload cashews, but it's vending nonetheless. We sell it into companies. When they run low on inventory, they come back to our store and reload their store so they can then use them there again. I learned from that early vending business where I lost a couple hundred, a couple thousand dollars, and now I've got a vending business that makes me, you know, $100,000 a year. I mean, it's, it's very, very profitable for us. So I want you to do the same thing. I want you to learn from that. Be grateful for the learning that you got, the fact that you are now smarter, and go forward. Well, you know, if, if we look back, I mean, even with more traditional investments, I mean, if, if 10 years ago you invested $1,000 in General Electric, you know what that would be worth today? It'd be worth $1,012, almost exactly the same. Not a great investment. If you invested it in Starbucks, today that would be worth, now again, this was $1,000 10 years ago. If you had invested that in Starbucks, today it's worth $10,650. If you had invested in Amazon, today that $1,000 is worth $22,760. Now, there are also people that invested in other ventures during that period of time, which are now bankrupt. I mean, here's some just real recent Bankruptcy filings, Forever 21. Golly, really classy stores that women loved? Gone. Kona Grill, we had one that just came into the mall here at Cool Springs in Franklin, Tennessee. We loved it. It was really a nice place. It was there about six months, closed. They filed bankruptcy, closed all their stores. Fred's, the old supplier, they're gone. Marie Callender's gone. Payless Shoes, things remembered. I mean, every mall had those... All filed bankruptcy. If you'd invested in any of those well-known businesses, your money's going to be totally gone. Well, there's the focus on looking forward. My gosh, again, 2020 is coming. What an opportunity to figure out what we want to do and make it happen. All right, now here's, here's input from a gentleman. We're going to call him George. He says, I'm 38 years old. I have three young kids, ages 10, six, and four. My wife is a stay-at-home mom. She homeschools the kids, does some freelance accounting, working the side, making about 40000 a year. I make 110000 at my day job, and I have a side business that makes me about $60,000. I have an advertising degree, and I'm a self-taught designer. Taught myself how to design. When I had a band and needed to create posters, CD covers, handbills, etc. I also taught myself how to code websites because I wanted to learn and didn't have the money at the time to pay for someone else. Quickly started getting freelance gigs from other bands that saw my stuff. Um, got his design degree back in 2003, became a full-time designer. Talks about changes that he's gone through. Every He's moved up. I've changed jobs eight times since 2005. Some jobs lasted one and a half years while well, a few lasted three. Every job I've left was because I was headhunted out of my current job and asked to join a different company. I started a new job last April. I'm unhappy again. The pay, now listen to how George lays this out. The pay is the most I've ever made. My bosses are nice and the work we're doing is great work. But I realized something this morning driving to my office. Maybe it's not that my job, it's my job that I hate. Maybe it's a career path I've chosen. I love designing and marketing, but maybe only for my own side business. I've started to get paid to speak at different events, talk about my side business. My side business has been featured in many major publications and have graced 
my product has graced the hands of many celebrities. A lot of people know about my side business. They know me because of it. I get emails all the time from people wanting to work for me. And also people asking me advice about starting a business. My question is not, should I quit my job and go full-time with my side business, but more a question of why can't I be happy designing and marketing for someone else? The money is great, but I would rather work full-time for myself and make my own way. My wife is tired of me changing jobs, even though every job I've changed, I've always gotten a ten dollars to $15,000 pay raise. I really enjoy the side business I started six years ago, and I really enjoy public speaking, podcasting. Seems like I could make that work, so it's my full-time job and support my family. What's wrong with me? I know this feeling all too well, and it never gets better. <laughs> all right. You know, th- this is really cool, George. And, and for those of you listening who identify with this, you have just coached yourself right through the entire process. You don't need anybody to tell you what to do. You have laid it out so clearly. I mean, you are an entrepreneur. You've tasted the waters, man. You've seen what can happen there. You got a side business doing 60. Incidentally, I know you wrote this anonymously, but there was just enough indication in your email address when I unpacked that, that I went in and looked at the business you've got, your Facebook site. I love what you're doing. I've listened to you be interviewed on a podcast. I love what you're doing. What a cool thing. What a wonderful niche. And to realize you're already making 60,000 a year doing that. It's no wonder you're antsy at your current job. You recognize, golly, what a thrill it is to be in the driver's seat, to be making your own decisions, not have to go to committee meetings, just make your decisions, get inquiries about a particular product. If you can create it, yes, we can. Boom, done deal interact. And now you're seeing the power of leveraging what you're doing in your business through podcasting, speaking, writing, and you're done. You're there. Golly, this should be a, this should be a real gentle transition for you. Okay. Here's the deal. Here we are the first week of October. I'm going to encourage you to be prepared to give your notice and be out of your current job by January 1st. All right. So you got three months and that's adequate time. You've got all the foundation is there. All you need to do is recognizing now, if you're devoting, you know, 40 hours a week in your real job, think what that 40 hours could do in leveraging the things you already have in place. I mean, you're not talking about, you know, starting from scratch. You're not talking about, gee, trying to come up with an idea. You already have things in motion. And when we talk to, and here's, here's the other thing too, that's so powerful. Let's say that the current product business that you're in is kind of at a cap. It really doesn't matter. You know the systems. You've already got the infrastructure in place. You know the systems, how to do social media, promotion, marketing, and all that. You do a lot of you know fantastic design work. I've seen that. You can plug another product in in a heartbeat and duplicate what you're doing now. So it doesn't even matter if you think you're kind of running the course with the product. It doesn't matter. You, you know, Understanding the systems is a lot more important than having one product that is doing well right now. And you are rocking and rolling. I commend you. I love what you're doing. I, I want an update. But you've, yeah, you, you've talked to yourself right through the solution. There is no way in the world. You know, quit, treat, quit beating yourself up for not enjoying your job. You're an entrepreneur. 
you know, you said most jobs last a year and a, last a year and a half. Boy, that's pretty much on track for somebody who likes change, challenge, and variety. You're one of them. Don't try to make yourself something you're not. Embrace the fact that you love change, but that also you've got enough smarts to be doing your own thing rather than just punching the clock for somebody else. Whoa. Hey, I love that question. Love the way it was laid out. I love the self-coaching that George just walked himself right through there. Well, I'll give you an update on that if he shares that with us in a couple months, see what happens with that. I get a lot of follow-up with uh, people who we, we share their story here, and then they go on and they do wonderful things. I love sharing those stories. Over a period of you know three, five, ten years, the success of people have enjoyed because they took action, didn't settle for the status quo. Well, the music there, just a reminder, these are real-life questions coming from you, the listeners. I consider it an honor to be engaged in your lives in these this way. You can go and you can leave an audio if you want to. You can go to 48days.com, just click on the podcast, and you can leave an audio message there as the one we just listened to. Or you can just shoot me an email those typically come in, askdan at 48days.com. Again, that email address is askdan at 48days.com. All right, Stephanie says, Dan, I've been a corporate accountant for almost 15 years now, and while the industry has been good to me, I'm grateful for the, and I'm grateful for the time spent in it. My total commitment to the corporate world, to the office environment, to high heels into Microsoft Excel has run its course. In trying to determine what really cranks my engine, I realize that I'm interested in more than one industry and could do well in several. Guess that's no surprise coming from someone who has always had a large variety of extracurriculars. So that begs the question, do I have to pick just one? What are the hidden drawbacks to balancing more than one job at the same time, given that I'm also a full-time wife and mom? I mean, if I really enjoyed coaching and I really enjoyed the hospitality industry, am I setting myself up for failure trying to juggle both? What if I simply feel burned out from having one full-time job? What if having a variety and some change of scenery is invigorating to me instead of exhausting? What if I see having multiple part-time jobs as satisfying my love for working hard while remaining professionally flexible? I appreciate your 48 days book. It's very hope inspiring to think that we have been given the the natural tools to do good work and to love it. Thanks for your time. Wow. Thank you, Stephanie, again, for how you've laid this out. I know you just spoke to a whole lot of other listeners in this. Do you have to choose one and then just turn your brain off and be content with that? No, you certainly don't. It's becoming more and more common for people to have multiple clients. Now, when you think about it, if you have a hot dog stand downtown in the city where you live, you may have 376 people come by today and buy a hot dog. So you have a lot of customers. If you lose one customer or lose 10, not really a big deal. You just replace them with new people coming up tomorrow. If you are working in a traditional job, you have one customer you're extremely vulnerable. If that one customer decides not to use you, you're 100% dead in the water. You have to start over again. So a lot of people are saying, you know what? What if I had five customers? What if I am a graphic designer, like the previous listener here we talked about? What if I'm a graphic designer and I go out here, you know, for a company 
to be able to justify a full-time graphic designer, they have to be a pretty significantly sized company, you know, depending on the industry. But let's say that, you know, they have to be a company of 40 employees before that would be justified. How many companies are there out here who don't have 40 employees who could not justify a full-time designer, but could use somebody two days a week? Well, there's thousands of them. You've just opened up a whole big plethora of opportunities by modifying what you're a candidate for. Recently, I talked about a gentleman here who has been working a full-time job. They're paying him well. They're paying him $125,000. And he is chomping at the bit because he's an entrepreneur. But he's had some entrepreneurial experience in the recent past that did not do well. His wife is terrified of him going back out into that entrepreneurial space again, doing something in his own, just keep your job, dude. I said, what if you proposed to the company that, and, and what he's doing as a brand and marketing guy, he really should be working himself out of a job. It's a startup and they are going to need, once he's created all these systems and has strategies in place, they are going to need him full time. I said, why don't you take the initiative now rather than waiting for them to say, we don't need you right now, tell them to cut your salary in half and your time in half then you have them as one customer. What if you then went to three other companies where you would have room for that and offer to be on retainer with them for $5,000 a month? He said, oh my gosh, I can do that. He went home and shared that idea with his wife. And she was like, that sounds fantastic. How soon can you do that? It totally changed her frame of mind when we positioned his current company as a customer rather than an employer. Stephanie, in your situation, I mean, that's what you're, you can do that. You can take what it is you really enjoy doing. Now, here's what I would encourage you to do. Don't be putting on totally different hats every day. I mean, I one time was in a position where I was an adjunct professor at a university. I had an auto accessories business and I had a fitness center. So I may be laying on my back finishing a cruise control installation in a new Honda, which we did hundreds of them back then, and realized that in 15 minutes, I'm supposed to be in front of a class at the university, totally switching gears. What I encourage you to do is do things that have a lot of overlap, where activity in any one will fuel activity in the others. Now, in doing that, you can juggle some different things. I mean, my my week is very, very varied. I don't... I'm. I'm known as a coach. I don't coach 40 hours a week. I coach about two hours a week because I have other things that I do that keep my energy high because I, I love the change, the challenge, the variety, and I can bring full energy into the coaching engagements that I have. What you don't want to do though, is just start loading things up on your plate. And all of a sudden you're committed to 60 hours a week. If you're doing that as a full-time wife and mom, you're going to be borrowing from the success in some other area of your life. Meaning your health is going to suffer, your relationships, your own personal development, your spiritual vitality, something's going to suffer if you're doing that. That you don't want to do. So give yourself, build in the variety, yes, but still confine it to 40 hours so you have ample time to invest in the other parts of your life that are equally as important. All right, this one comes from David. Now, David, this is, David says, I work in marketing. Oh, wait a minute. No, this is, this is not the one I, <laughs> I thought it was. 
Yeah, it is. Okay. All right. I work in marketing at the Center for Executive Leadership. Um, I've been consuming your content for years. Could not appropriately express my gratitude to you for what you do. Thank you, David. In 2014, I got in a bad wreck while walking on the sidewalk where a truck came up and hit me. Uh, I had broken limbs, plenty of cosmetic damage, road rash, whatever. Through this, God has spoken clearly to me. Hebrews 12, 7, that it, in that he has me to teach, coach, speak, and disciple. I'll have to look up at that verse. Not familiar with that. I'd be delighted to see God telling us to coach. Being a current, current college student, what are my next first steps with the unbelievable network I currently have around me at High Point University? Oh my gosh. High Point University in High Point, North Carolina. President is Dr. Nita Cobain. What a privilege. Callie, I know a young lady who just recently graduated from there. I mean, what an experience to be at High Point University. That is phenomenal. However, here, here he, he continues, David continues, I've written a book, but I've been advised to focus on graduate school right now instead of publishing. Please help me know anyway I can be, I can be helping you or praying for you. Well, thank you for that, David. Uh, here's the deal, man. I'm going to focus right in on this instead of writing a book. You know, I've been advised to focus on graduate school right now. Oh, don't ever let formal education slow you down from the life you know you can be living. Wow. I mean, formal education just kind of comes alongside whatever it is you're getting a graduate degree and that's cool. That's fine. But don't let that divert you from things that you have in the works. Now, I assume your, your book probably is going to have something to do with the really bad wreck that you had in your recovery. I mean, usually first books are an author's story like that. And a lot of those that have come out, but it doesn't have to be an, an either or choice. You can continue school. And if you're at high point, my goodness, what an opportunity. I mean, I commend you on that. And certainly I'm not saying just ditch that and go on, but I don't see any reason in the world you can't publish your book now anyway. And publishing a book doesn't mean that you spend 60 hours a week doing that. Eh, go ahead. I mean, even if you're still in the writing process, I mean, you can accomplish that, move forward without any challenge at all. But here's the deal. I'll have to warn you in advance, a whole lot of people while they were in college do discover what their real passion is, do discover the opportunities to put that in motion. And all of a sudden, you know, finishing a degree becomes less and less attractive. Now we don't need to go through what we, I mean, certainly, I mean, you hear about people like Bill Gates and uh, Steve Jobs, you know, there's a whole lot of people out there whose names we could mention who uh, discovered while in college, nah, this isn't really doing a whole lot to uh, move my career forward. I'm just going to go on. But I want to tell you about some famous authors who did the same thing. Ray Bradbury, know that name? Well, he started writing stories when he was 11 years old, when he barely finished high school, had no interest in college, and went on to write you know, Fahrenheit 451, and certainly a whole lot of other things. Ray Bradbury. Maya Angelou? Golly. I mean, she remained mute for five years after abuse, but then started writing. 
And she managed to graduate from high school. But then three weeks later, she gave birth to a son, unable to attend college. You know, she did some pretty undesirable things for a while, but started focusing on her writing career when she was almost 40 and went on, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings and lots of others. Truman Capote, tough school. You know, his mother sent him to military school to toughen him up. If you can see Truman Capote, you can see the irony there. But his mother sent him to military school to toughen him up. It was predictably a disaster. But he was hired as a copy boy for the New Yorker right out of high school. Boom. Went on and just started writing. In Cold Blood. And, of course, a lot of others. Mark Twain? Eh. Didn't really make it through through college at all. He had to drop out of school at age 12 to work for food rations after his father died. By age 15, he was contributing articles to the local newspaper. Then he went to work for a printer, became a journalist, and went on from there. Mark Twain, are you kidding me? Yep, didn't get his literary chops in college. He just started writing. H.G. Wells, wow, same thing. Never made it through college. Went on to write The War of the Worlds, The Time Machine. Jack London, you know, Jack London, you know, Call of the Wild, White Fang. He um, did go to UC Berkeley, but it was kind of a rocky, rocky road for sure. I mean, he got sent there from, by a friend. I mean, he had a really tough childhood. I mean, he spent time in, in jail. He was working as a tramp, begging for money, those kind of things, no home life. Friend loaned him money to attend UC Berkeley, but he left after a year when the money ran out, never graduated, then went on without a college graduation. And so, of course, I was already mentioned, call the wild and so on. Charles Dickens, boom. Nah, his father was thrown into debtor's prison when he was a boy. Dickens' experiences as an impoverished child became the inspiration for a whole lot of his novels. He's now recognized, of course, as one of the foremost novelists we've ever had, Charles Dickens. William Faulkner, he never even had a high school diploma. Now, he wasn't tall enough to enlist in the U.S. Air Force. He lied in order to get into the Canadian Royal Air Force. One year before World War I ended, he later enrolled in the University of Mississippi, but he only attended classes for three semesters before dropping out. He went on to work as a bookseller's assistant and postmaster before starting to publish his poetry, and he was about 27 or so at the time when he started doing that. Now, so the deal is, you've had some life experience. You've had some recovery time, obviously. You've had some great college time. You're at High Point University, great opportunity, but the connection between that and what you want to do in the writing world is probably a pretty faded line. If you have something to publish, my goodness, when I think about the people that are out here publishing, because I, you know, I, I love the publishing world, and uh, look at people like David Hancock with Morgan James Publishing or Carrie Oberbrunner with his... Uh, author academy elite and see the people coming through there with books and people that are getting book deals, you know, with Harper Collins and Thomas Nelson, Simon Schuster. I mean, I hear about them every day. There's, there's no connection. There's no correlation 
between that and their academic background. No, writing is kind of in a different part of your brain. Now, certainly it's usable when you're in college, a useful skill. I loved the essays that I had to write in college. Those were my favorite classes, not the ones where it was multiple choice, ones where you had to write essays. I loved that. Didn't know that I was going to end up writing more, but over the years, kept seeing opportunities to write, to communicate, then teach in Sunday school class, people asking for more. Wow. And it led into the writing that I get to do today. And writing is absolutely my zone of genius, my unique ability. That, that's where I want to spend my time. I mean, my, when, when I talk about my value proposition statement, my unique ability is to read, to think, and process the wisdom of the ages, and then write content that challenges and inspires readers to discover and initiate their own greatness. Boy, with what you've got going on there, Davis, wow. Uh, See this as, I mean, when I was in about the first semester of my master's degree, I told Joanna, hey, this is nuts. You know, why am I wasting my time here? You know, these guys have never, teaching the classes, have never had business experience. That's all I'm interested in. Why am I wasting my time here? She said, no, wait a minute. We, we did a lot to rearrange our lives so you could come here to the university. You have a teaching assistantship, takes care of your tuition. We're okay. We're enjoying the community and all. You've only got a year and a half to finish your master's. Why don't you just go ahead and finish that? It'll open new doors of opportunity for us. You'll never regret it, even if it's not something you're going to use directly in what you want to do work-wise. Well, that was great advice, as it always is from Joanne. That's what I did. Just started counting the days, finished out what I had going. Absolutely. Got that degree, of course, went on. And then years later, started working my doctoral program. Enjoyed that as well. So see it as that. See it as something that adds to your personal development but probably not really connected to the career opportunities that it looks like you're moving toward. Well, there we go. Well, hey, just a reminder, here as we wrap up, again, I want you to be writing. And no matter who you are, if you're listening, you are a writer. And I want your writing right now to be focused on what is it you're going to do in 2020? What is it that's going to give you perfect vision? For then, write down goals for what you want your life to look like. Accept responsibility for where you are, but write down those things. Writing things down will change your life. And if you're lucky, like with Davis, it may change the life of other people as well. And I never get tired of getting notes from people who say, you know, 48 days changed my life. No more Mondays rocked my world. Wisdom meets passion allowed me to connect with my son in a way that you obviously have done with yours. I mean, I love those messages that I get from people that I've never met, but who read something that I wrote. I got some new things coming up down the pike, incidentally. I'm excited about releasing here in the, well, in the first quarter of 2020. But I encourage you to be writing down. Go to 48days.com slash goals. That's where you can get your free worksheet for setting out what your goals are. Don't be a victim. Put yourself in the driver's seat. Doesn't matter what your situation is right now. You can do that. Doesn't mean you just blow everybody off, just drop everything you're doing, but you can see the potential for directing your own life by creating the future that you want. So go to 48days.com slash goals. Let me know how that helps you, what what you're excited about as we move into the new year. Well, speaking of moving into the new year, 
we are doing that indeed. Hey, I consider it a privilege each week to unpack your questions. Again, you could shoot those in to askdan at 48days.com. But this is a, a hoot for me. This is a privilege for me. It puts me in my sweet spot where I want to be spending my time, spend this time with you, looking at these questions, knowing that together we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. <laughs>